so let, let's, let's get rocking and rolling here. So we're week, week three, week three of our Greater Things series. And really during this whole series, I've been talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a quick overview. Week one was, this is what I said, either the Spirit has been overemphasized in our society or it's deemed as weird. So it's either not taught or it's just avoided all together. And then we talked about in week two, we drove the concept home that we can't separate God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We took a look at John chapter 14, and Jesus references the Father 26 times. So in order to understand the Spirit, we have to understand who the Father is. We also talked about that the Spirit isn't just something or wasn't just something for biblical times. It wasn't just something that we see in the book of Acts or, or the book of Corinthians. It's something that's alive and well today. So stepping into week three, what does all this mean for your context? Bill, what does all this mean for you? Shake, what does all this mean for you? Pat, what does all this mean for you? Becca, what does it mean for you? What does it mean for every individual in this room? John, what does it mean for you? Rose, what does it mean for you? Matt, Don Marie, what does it mean for you? For you, Angie, what does it mean for you? And why, why do I take the time to call people out by name? Remember back to last week when Jesus responded to Philip by name. He called Philip out. So you see, too often we think of the working and the power of the Holy Spirit as if it just happens in someone else's life. That's someone else's name that Jesus is calling out. That's someone else's journey. That's someone else's miracle. But we have trouble inserting our own name and our own stories. So what does this truly mean for you? What does the Spirit have to do with you and for you? Scripture says that the Spirit empowers you to do greater things. Not because of what I said, but because of what Jesus said in John 14, verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Let me put it to you this way. Jesus says, if you believe in me. If you truly believe in me, then you will do greater things than me. So when we respond with, well, I'm, I'm just not good enough. Or we respond with, I could never be used like that person. I could never be used like the pastor. I could never be used like the, the, the worship pastor. I could never be used like the team that, that sets up here. I could never be used like you fill in your own blank. Or when we say things like, my story just isn't that important. My testimony really isn't that miraculous. Or when we say things like, I'm just a stay-at-home parent. Or when we say things like, I just have a normal 9-to-5 job that doesn't have anything to do with ministry or anything to do with the kingdom. What we're really saying is, I don't believe in Jesus. You say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Pastor, I'm not saying I don't believe in Jesus. In fact, I know, I know he's real. Maybe you would respond and you would say, man, I've actually had experience. He's, he's used me before. I'm just not sure about now. I'm just not sure about the season that I'm in. I'm just not sure about the job that I have currently. I'm not sure because of my family situation. But what did Jesus say? 
He says, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Somebody needs to hear this today. Stop downplaying the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Stop downplaying what the Spirit can do in and through you. It was never up to you to begin with. You never had anything to do with any of it to start with. The Spirit did. So stop downplaying the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Regardless of where you find yourself, your life matters. Regardless of the season you find yourself in, your story matters. Your gifts matter. You heard, you heard Coley just a few minutes ago, a two-year-old. A two-year-old can praise Jesus. Their life matters. My three-year-old daughter, when she praises Jesus, her life matters. We can point to other people, but for some reason, we have trouble pointing to ourselves. For some reason, we have trouble saying, I really matter in kingdom business. I, I really matter in advancing the kingdom of God. Listen, some of you have a gift of hospitality. I went over to Miss Kay's house last week when we were preparing our baptism and barbecue. She had a spread. She's like, I'm going to cook some, a little something for y'all for lunch. This woman had so much daggum chicken salad that none of, like we couldn't take it home. Like, I mean, it was, just, it was just so much. She fed, I don't know, like four or five, no, it was like six or seven kids. Then you fed like three or four adults. Like she just had, she has a gift of hospitality. It's like, hey, like, hey, let's do this baptism barbecue. Who do we call? Let's call Kay and Toby because they like having people over. Like, like they, have a, they have a gift. Of, like your, your hospitality gift matters. Like it, it just does. In the, in the kingdom of God, it matters. Some of you have the gift of listening. That's something that's hard to come by these days. But you truly have a gift of, of listening and sitting down with someone and having a cup of coffee. That gift matters. Some of you have a gift of giving. It matters. Some of you have a gift of just of, of, of rallying people and charging people and leading people. That gift matters. Everything matters. In fact, in a few months, we're going to be stepping into a series called Multipliers towards the, uh, the end of the year, kind of in September. And we're going to be talking about your specific gift and your specific role in the kingdom. But then you ask, you say, Pastor, how do you, Pastor, how do you, Zach, how do you really, how do you really know? How do you really know that my life Matters. Let me step back and ask a few questions. The first one is this. Is Jesus just exaggerating when he says this, or is he telling the truth? Of course Jesus is telling the truth. So when he said, if you believe in me, you will do even greater things than me, we're called to believe him. Jesus isn't trying to make you feel good. He's not trying to stroke your ego. Jesus is telling you the way that it is. You're going to do greater things than me. Because of why? The power of the Holy Spirit. People sell their destiny short because they sell themselves short. You sell what you could do short because you sell who you are short. Man, as a pastor, I have struggled. I have struggled. Before I took this job, it was one of the biggest fears of my life to be a pastor. I think about my story. I would think about you know, how I grew up. I would think about the mistakes I've made in my life. I would think about the sin that was in my life. I'm like, man, if anybody ever really knew what was in my closet, there's no way they would ask me to be a pastor. But, but we do that, right? Amen. Like we try to hide the junk in our past. And Jesus says, listen, I've already take, taken care of it. Just step into your future. 
step into who I've called you to be. Why? Because of the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, not because of what you can and can't do. It's because of the power of the Holy Spirit. We say things like, I can't, I can't, so I'm just not going to try, or I could never do that, so I'm never going to fully step into my calling. Regardless of if you tell yourself you can or you can't, you're right. Tell yourself you're, you can, you're right. Tell yourself you can't, you're right. It's what goes on between your ears. I've talked about this several, several times about Dr. Carol Dweck, and she has this idea of a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And the growth mindset people tell themselves that they can. I can accomplish this. I can be who God's called me to be. But fixed mindset people are stuck in the past. Fixed mindset individuals are stuck with, with, with what they've done and the mistakes that they've made. Let me ask you this question. Who is Jesus actually talking to? Is he just talking to pastors? Is he just talking to people that are bringing the gospel message? Or is he talking to everyone? Because this is what he says, whoever, whoever believes in me. Let me translate, translate that for you. It's anyone. It's all y'all. We got too many nor- northerners in here. It's all you guys. All right? <laughs> say that right. It felt dirt. That felt dirty to say. <laughs> it's all y'all. All right, we in the south. It's all y'all. It's not just the pastors. (laughs) Amen. We in the South, I get an amen. I'm preaching the word of God. I I say we're in the South, I get an amen. (laughs) And we digress. It's coming from the guy that's from Maine. (laughs) But listen, Jesus, Jesus isn't just speaking to pastors. He, he, he isn't just speaking to people that, that have the title of pastor or have the title of a staff member at a church. He's speaking to whoever. So if it's whoever, then it can be accessed wherever. The Spirit of God can be accessed by whoever and can be accessed wherever. It's not just for church on a Sunday. It's for the marketplace Monday through Saturday as well. And today I want to preach on... That was just my setup. So today I want to preach on yesterday's anointing versus today's anointing. Because if we're going to believe for greater things, we can't live on yesterday's anointing. If you're 30, 40, 50, 60 years old in the room, you can't live on the anointing that you felt in the 80s. You can't live on the anointing of the spirit that you had five years ago. You can't live on the anointing of the spirit that you had last week. What happened to the Israelites? What was fresh every day? The manna was fresh every day. The Holy Spirit is fresh and new every day. And when the Holy Spirit becomes stagnant in our life, we die. Because something that's not growing is dying. There's no other option. We can't just stay stagnant. If you're stagnant, you're dying. We're not discrediting yesterday's anointing. We're not forgetting yesterday's anointing. We just can't live in yesterday's anointing. Let's take a look at this in 1 Samuel chapter 16 kind of set the stage for you. Saul was so blind to the power and working of the Holy Spirit, he didn't even recognize when it left him. Say, Pastor, can the the anointing of the Holy Spirit leave leave someone? Is that a thing? Well, I'm just going to read scripture. How do you lose the anointing of the Holy Spirit? Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. I'll set the scene for you. See, God sent King Saul to totally defeat the Amalekite army. And Saul defeated the enemy, but then he took what? He wanted. 
This is what scripture says. Scripture says that they took the best of the enemy's sheep, the best of the enemy's calves, the best of the enemy's lambs, and everything that they thought was good. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but the enemy's best is still not God. I don't care how good it looks. I don't care how much money you're going to make. I don't care how attractive the deal is. I don't care how far it'll get you ahead in life. The enemy's best still leads us to destruction. Because why? Number one, it'll make you think all about yourself. Verse 12 says this, And behold, he set up a monument for himself. So this was after the battle, and Saul built a monument to himself. He said, look at what I've done. In fact, I'm so good at what I've done, I'm going to keep the best of what the enemy had to offer. What monuments are you building in your life? Zach, do you want to, do you want to build this church to further the kingdom of God or just to prove that you could be a good pastor? Zach, do you want to have multiple locations just so you can add more members to the church or so more lost people can be saved? What monuments are we building in our life? Are you building a monument out of your career? As long as I can keep climbing this ladder, I'll keep doing whatever I have to do. Are you building a monument out of your bank account? If I could just get to this number, if I could just get to this many zeros, well, with numbers in front of the zeros, you know what I'm saying? What about this one? Are you building a monument of your kid's success? I couldn't do it, but as long as my kid could do it. I'll, I'll pay for everything. I'll do, I'll do everything. I'll, I'll set them up for success. Are we making a monument out of our kids? Listen, none of these things are bad and wrong, but it's when you build a monument and make them all about you and not about the kingdom of God. That's when we've already failed. And once we make it all about ourselves, number two is this. We actually have intentional disobedience. Verse 13 says this, Blessed be you to the Lord. Saul is speaking to Samuel. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, Samuel said this, when, when then is the blessing of the sheep in my ears? You can't clothe disobedience in righteous pretense and expect God to not notice. So let me tell you what's going on. So you have Saul and he destroys the Amalekite army. And then he takes everything. And basically Samuel comes up to him and he's like, Hey, Saul, what's going on? And Saul's response is, blessings in the name of the Lord, brother. He didn't even realize that the spirit had already left him at that point. He didn't realize that he was even disobeying God. And Samuel goes, hold up a second. If you're following, how are you going to bless me in the name of the Lord when you're not even following God? And Saul's going, what are you talking about? And Samuel's going, I literally hear the sheep in the background. God told you to destroy everything. But you took what you thought was good. Wow. Saul didn't even realize what was going on. God told Saul to destroy it all. So Samuel was asking, why do you greet me like this, like you're following God, but I hear the sheep in the background? When I was at Southeastern University, uh, we had room checks every day. Going, Did y'all have room checks? Y'all had, you had room checks. Yeah, she went there. You had room checks. Anybody else go to Southeastern, like on campus? Y'all don't, y'all, did y'all have, y'all had room checks too though. Y'all did have room checks. Anybody else have room checks in college? Yeah, y'all had it easy. It, yeah, well, y'all, we were basically the same. It's like same school, different location, but not really. Y'all went to Evangel, so. <laughs> same, same thing. Same, we're like a sister school. But we had, we had room checks. 
And room checks will really pass or fail. And I don't know if y'all did this, but at Southeastern, when I was there, at Southeastern, you had, you had an excellent, you had a pass, and you had a fail. Well, if you had excellence all year long, your names would be put in a drawing for Disney tickets or, or some kind of, or, or Bush Gardens or whatever the tickets were for that semester. And you get like a year-long pass. So at the beginning of the year, everybody's room was clean. First two weeks, everybody's got an excellent. Week three, some people started slacking off. By two months in, it's like rooms just got nasty. You know what I'm saying? All you had to do was really keep your room clean. Now, this is, this is how you passed. Here's how you passed a room inspection. To pass a room inspection, the, the rules were you had to clean, keep the floor clean so that, now, well, we had cleaning ladies as well. So that was, we had cleaning ladies at college. Y'all have cleaning ladies? We had cleaning ladies in college, cleaning individuals in college that would come in and like clean our room. But in order for them to come in and clean the room, our rooms had to be, the floors had to be clean. We couldn't have dishes that were dirty. We had to have our sinks and our countertops cleaned off. And what happened was the rules started to kind of shift and change. And I'm a firm believer that it's because of my roommates. Because this is what, this is what my roommates would do. My roommates would kind of bend the rules or play within the guidelines of the rules. And they would go, okay, well, the, uh, the floor needs to be clean. I'm going to take all of my clean clothes. I'm going to take all my dirty clothes. I'm going to put them in one big pile. I'm going to put them on my bed. And then I'm going to cover it up with a sheet floor is clean. It's like, but your room is disgusting. Another thing, another thing was that the dishes, the bowls had to be like dishes and plates and stuff had to be cleaned off or thrown away. And if you threw that trash away, you would then take said trash and take it to an actual trash can outside. The problem is, dude, guys are nasty. I've, I learned this in college being RA, girls are nastier. But college women, like girl dorms, nasty. But, th- but this, is, this is what would happen. My, my roommates... We digress again. Uh, my, my roommates, they would, they would hear, anytime there was a room inspection, you would hear it down the hallway. The RA's coming. Like, like, like clean your room, you know, that kind of thing. So everybody would just kind of run, run and scramble and, and clean the room. My roommates would take their bowls and their dishes and slide them as far back under their bunk bed as they could so that you just would have a clean floor. Because as long as you had a clean floor, you got to pass. What, what, is, what is cleaning up? Cleaning up is actually taking the trash out. Cleaning up is actually washing the dishes. Cleaning up is actually putting the clothes on. All the parents are going, yes and amen, yes and amen, yes and amen. Moving moving your mess around is just taking those clothes and hiding them. Moving the mess around is just opening up the drawer and in one swoop of the arm getting everything in the drawer just so you can shut it and go, it's clean. Moving the mess around is just getting everything underneath the bed. Samuel's going, what did you do, Saul? And Saul says, I've done everything that God has told me to do. Samuel says, but I hear sheep. I hear sheep. In that moment, Saul kind of turns back to that three-year-old. Well, I, I did what you told me to do, but you didn't do it to the fullest. It's like my roommates. I, I cleaned my room. No, you didn't. You just moved the mess around. And then they wondered why they started failing room inspections, it's because the smell started catching up to them. It's because the clutter started catching up to you. When when God says to do something in full, he means in totality. So when life begins to catch up to us sometimes, when the clutter in our own life catches up to us, when the smells in our own life catch up to us, we look at God and go, God, I've done everything that you've told me to do. But have we done it to the fullness that God expected us to do. And when we don't, number three is this. We make excuses, we blame others, and we have a victim mindset. 
It's exactly what happened to Saul. Saul said this, they, they have brought them back from the Amalekite army for the people spared the best of the sheep and the ox. And you almost want to tap Saul on the shoulder and go, hey, bro, remember you're the king. Hey, you're the guy in charge. Hey, it's, it's up to you to set the standard. It's up to you to set the pace. So, so you're the leader, but you're blaming it on people below you. You're the leader and you're saying, but, but they have brought them from the Amalekite army. You're supposed to be leading and following God, but, but you're, you're blaming it on the people sparing the best of the sheep and the ox and the lambs. Y'all ever been around somebody like this? Nothing is ever their fault and there's an excuse for everything. Nothing is ever their fault and there's an excuse for everything. Sometimes the best thing to do is just to take ownership. Sometimes the best thing to do is to say, you got me. I messed up. I'm sorry. I wonder how the story would have shifted. Because this is what happens in the story, if you remember. That's the moment that the Spirit of God left Saul and Samuel went to anoint David. I wonder how the story would have been different if he would have just said, man, I messed up. I'm sorry. Why is it so hard for individuals to say I messed up? Why is it so hard for individuals to say I made a mistake and to simply take ownership? Instead, too many people have a victim mentality. It's not my fault that, I didn't, that, that you didn't remind me to come to the meeting. It's not my fault that I, I set my alarm for p.m. instead of a.m. and now, I, now I've woken up late and I was late to work. It's not, it's not my fault that you didn't send me a follow-up email and I just missed the first one. It's not my fault that the teacher doesn't like me and I made a bad grade. It's not my fault that, that, that I asked for extra sugar in my coffee, but now it's too sweet, so I want a new one. It's not my fault that I asked for my coffee extra hot, but now it's too hot, so I can't drink it, so I want something else. Can y'all tell I work in a coffee shop sometimes? It's like, you asked for it to be extra hot. Oh, can I get almond milk? Sure. Oh, yeah, I don't like the way this almond milk tastes. It's almond milk. Can I get oat milk? Yeah, yeah, sure, we'll give you oat milk. Well, I don't like that one either. Can I just get regular milk? I thought you said you couldn't have milk. Well, it tastes better. But it's my fault. Come on, take blame for for what? But this is what Saul did. He didn't want to take blame. They did it. The people spared. What happens when we make excuses and don't take ownership. The Spirit will find someone else who is worthy. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. Check this out. The Lord is angry for just a moment, but then Samuel fills his horn with oil just because individuals stall doesn't mean that the work of the kingdom stops. Just because other individuals mess up doesn't mean that the work of the kingdom will stop. I'm a firm believer that the Spirit of God is looking for people in a church to anoint. Because when a church or a group of people make it all about themselves, when a church or a group of people have intentional disobedience, when a church or a group of people make excuses and they blame others, and they have a victim mentality, God will look for someone else or another church who is hungry and who has a heart for him and a heart for people. Will we be found worthy? Let me read you this story. At the end of 
1961, true story, a young exchange student studying at a Bible college in Wells was on his way home when he decided to take an unguided sightseeing tour of London. As he walked, he came across a house with a nameplate on the front that said George Jeffries. He wondered if this could be the great George Jeffries who had founded the Elam Pentecostal churches in Ireland and in England and whom he had read so much about in college. This is how he tells the rest of the story. True story. There I rang the doorbell. A lady opened the door. Pardon my intrusion, ma'am. Does George Jeffries live here? The one who was the famous firebrand evangelist I've heard so much about. Yes, he does. Well, may I, may I see him? <laughs> no, sir. No, under no circumstances can you come inside. She had hardly said no when I heard a deep voice from within the house. Let the young man come in. I stepped forward. I took his hand and introduced myself. I told him that I had a call of God on my life to be an evangelist and to preach the gospel in Africa, that I had been in college in Wales and, and was returning to Germany. What happened next was extraordinary. All of a sudden, he took me by my shoulders and he fell to his knees, pulling me to the floor with him. He placed his hands on my head and began to bless me as a father blesses the son, as Abraham blessed Isaac, who blessed Jacob, and so on and so forth. The room seemed to light up with the glory of God as he poured out his prayer over me. I don't remember the words with which he blessed me, but I do remember their effect. My body felt electrified, tingling with divine energy. After about half an hour, he finished. I stood up and helped him to his feet. He seemed very frail. We said goodbye. The lady came and escorted me away. He could hardly stand, nor could I, but for different reasons. That young man went on to become one of the greatest healing evangelists of his generation. His name was Reinhard Bonnke. When he got off the train in Germany, Bonnke was told by his dad that George Jeffries had just died. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. Arise and anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointing him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. There's a lot of people in our society that's making it about themselves. There's a lot of people in our society that have intentional disobedience. A lot of people in our society and our culture that are making excuses and blaming others and have a victim mindset. The question is, the question is, are we going to be found worthy to receive the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in our life? I pray, I pray that we don't fall in the first group. I, I, I pray that we're not making it about ourselves. I pray if there's something in our lives that we need to get right with God, that we do it today. I, I pray that if we have a victim mindset, I, 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 I pray that if we're blaming others, I pray that if we're making excuses, that we'll stop the nonsense now, that we will be found worthy to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Would everyone in the room please stand?